Once you are self-aware, you must make a change. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and today I have the fortunate opportunity to interview Eduardo Briseño. He is a global keynote speaker, a facilitator who guides many of the world's leading companies in developing cultures of learning and high performance. His book, Performance Paradox, I was fortunate to get a copy of this and dive in. I also downloaded the audio. So for those of you who like to go on long walks or long drives, put it in because I'll tell you, it's a fabulous book. And the book just came out September 5th of this year, 2023 by Ballantine Books, and it was selected as a must read by the Next Big Idea Club, which is curated by Susan Cain, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, and Dan Pink. Earlier in his career, Eduardo was a co-founder and CEO of Mindset Works, the first company to offer growth mindset development services. And he, his TED talk, How to Get better at things you care about and his prior TEDx talk, The Power of Belief, have been viewed more than 9 million times. Eduardo is a Para Aspen Fellow, a member of the Aspen Institute of Global Leader Leadership Network and an inductee to the Happiness Hall of Fame. I didn't even know that existed, Eduardo. So I was like, what? I'm going to have to ask him about that for him to share a little bit about that. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Deb. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I have to tell you, when I was like drawn right in at the beginning, chapter one, you know, with with the examples that you give, such rich, rich examples where I felt like, oh, I know someone like that. Oh, I've been like that myself. And really catching yourself in really wanting to perform, doing great things. And then you come to different parts of your life and feeling stagnant. But I also love how you shared your personal story that really dug you into the work that you're doing. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more how you got drawn into the performance paradox and what it is. Sure. So, yeah, I, I did. I got drawn into the performance paradox. I, I think many of us do. Uh, when I was a child, when I was very young, I think like many, many of us, I was very curious. I would ask tons of questions. I would experiment. I would play. Uh, but when I started going to school, I I stopped asking questions. I started just mm -hmm. focusing on performance. You know, I, I actually didn't develop great interests. I just didn't have any better idea on what to do. So I, I studied to get good grades to perform on the tests. And I would study and perform and then forget what I had learned. Um, and so I you know, what schooled me, originally school got me into the habit of chronic performance, of just doing the best I know how, trying to minimize mistakes, focused only on the performance. Um, so when I went to 
I, I went to a good university, getting good grades. Then I just try to get a, a high paying job because I didn't have any better idea. I didn't have any real interest and passions. Um, and I ended up working in investment banking for two years and venture capital for five years. Um, but I realized uh, I was just trying to prove myself, trying to improve myself. I was try just trying to get good reviews. And I was trying to perform all the time, which was actually hurting my performance. That's a performance paradox, is that if we only perform all the time, we don't perform as well um, as we, if we combined performing with learning. So it's something that I've learned after kind of changing my career. I went to grad school. I met Carol Dweck uh, at Stanford. I co-founded Mindset Works with her. I've been, she's been my mentor for the last 16 years. And I realized that it, it, the, the key to improving and to success is not just to work hard. There's two different types of hard work. There's hard work to perform, which is really important, but also hard work to learn. And I didn't, I hadn't combined both in my life. And so I've been devoting to myself to helping people, teams, and organizations figure out how to create structures and habits to both engage in learning and performing, which ends up in greater performance than if we only focus narrowly on performing. Right. And the first thing, like, as you're describing that, what comes to my mind is that outside validation that people look for when they're performing, right? We're looking for the A, we're looking for an excellent job. We're looking for, yeah, you got this, you've got the concept and we're proving ourselves, as you said, versus, and this is interesting because it's an outside, right? Where we're looking outside for these people to give us this validation versus being curious of what am I capable of? And, and I find that just so for me, it's mind blowing. Cause I'm like, there's so much that we don't realize that we're capable of, but we're looking outside of ourselves with people all doing the same thing, all looking outside. Yeah. And so if we are looking outside for validation that we're doing things well, what we tend to do is just do the things that we already know how to do, that we can do perfectly without mistakes quickly. And, and so that's when we, we, we're told how smart we are, how talented we are. Mm -hmm. And in order to discover and to develop what we can do, we have to go beyond the known. We have to do things that we haven't done before, which means we're going to grapple with them. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to not do things flawlessly. Um, and that's what it takes in order to, uh, to grow and, and, and thrive and, and do the things that, that we can do that are beyond what we can do now. Right. So one of the things I want to just put out there is some of the people may not be familiar with Carol Dweck's book. I, I am. I've, I've read her mindset book, but also with growth mindset. Can you explain to people the difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset and how it plays a role in this performance paradox? Absolutely. A growth mindset and a fixed mindset are a belief about the nature of human beings. Specifically, uh, a growth mindset is the belief that we can change and that other people can change, that our abilities and qualities are malleable, that we can develop them over time. So when we, for example, when we think that um, somebody is a natural leader and that's why they're such a great leader, that would be an example of a fixed mindset where we're attributing high performance to something that is fixed in people rather than something that people develop, as opposed to believing that 
any leader can become better. Whether you're already great at it or just starting out or somewhere in the middle, you can always improve. That's what a growth mindset is. Or that you know we can develop our extroversion skills or our introversion skills, or that we can develop greater empathy or you know versus people are natural athletes, that would be a fixed mindset. And, and these, this belief, there's a lot of research that shows that has a lot of the consequences for how we view ourselves and others, how we behave. And when we're in a fixed mindset, we tend to want to prove ourselves rather than improve like I was. And so, for example, when I receive feedback, I would react defensively or I wouldn't solicit feedback or, you know, I would lie about kind of the mistakes I made to myself and to others. I just would disregard them rather than think about them to learn about them. Uh, uh, to improve. And so a growth mindset is critical. The belief that we can improve is critical in order to improve, because if we don't believe we can improve, we won't take on the behaviors to improve. Similarly, if we see other people, if we label other people in fixed ways and we think that they can't change, when we see an opportunity for improvement, we won't share that information with them. And so they won't know that there's a different way or there's an opportunity to do something differently and they won't change. And so a fixed mindset creates a self-fulfilling prophecy, whether we're thinking about other people unable to change or as us, us unable to change. But so, so, so a fixed mindset and a growth mindset are belief. And a belief is really critical, but it's, it's, it's important, but it's, it's not sufficient. Um, in order to improve and to be great, motivated learners and effective learners, we need to not only believe that we can change, but also know how to change. And that's where the performance paradox comes in, because often we think that the, the way to improve and to grow is to just to work hard. But often if we work hard to perform, we just hit a wall, we stagnate. Uh, and so we need to put effort into, into, in, into performance, but also into, into learning and how we do that. What are the different learning strategies that we can, um, we can adopt? That's what, that's what the performance paradox book is about. Yeah. And you know, the F word, the feedback, people don't necessarily like it because they feel like they're being criticized, defensive or in trouble. Right. And when there's someone in the book, you talk about, you know, the, the example of, someone's saying no I don't want the feedback because they think that they're in trouble versus they how the person wanted the leader wanted them to have their life a little bit easier and that they already acknowledged that they were doing hard work and doing good work so it's interesting how feedback gets this misnomer because we are not having this curiosity of well, what is it that they want to say it could be something good but just because the word feedback comes out it's an avoidant behavior yeah, it's really interesting that we each have different views of what these things are. And so for so if you think about Olympic gold medalists, the best in the world, in the most skilled people in lots of different domains, they use feedback all the time to get even better. Like they will try something that's challenging to them. They won't do it perfectly. And they will use the information about where they missed to adjust and to become better. And so they they want feedback. They solicit feedback all the time and they use it to improve versus a lot of us are afraid of feedback. We might think of feedback as something that only people with low ability need or people who are struggling or people who are not doing their job well, as opposed to no, like people who do their job great, they love feedback to get even better. Um, and and so it's interesting how, you know, some, some people are afraid of, like of of spiders other people are not 
Some people are, I've learned some people are afraid of chickens. Other people are not. Some people are afraid of even trees and forests and other people are not. And, and so our mental models uh, about these things vary. Now, the good news is that we can all change our mental models, but also we can all adopt the, regardless of whether we feel fear or not, we can adopt the learning behaviors that are going to help us grow and thrive. So if we're afraid of feedback, for example, um, when we, the, the the most important like the most powerful thing we can do is just solicit start soliciting feedback all the time from different people mm -hmm. because the more we do that the more we start to to tell ourselves and to understand that feedback is something we want uh, we also do it we we solicit feedback when we're more comfortable when we're ready to listen to it uh, so it makes it easier for us to listen it it makes it easier for the other person to give it and then over time we we start changing our mental models and start seeing feedback as something that is really useful because then we get the feedback we see how useful it is right. um, and it's just information we don't have to act upon it it's just we're just learning what the other person is thinking, how we are affecting them so that then we can have more information to act upon. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's teaching you not to take things personally, right? Because if you re if you view it as I'm only taking this as information and you have a determination if it's valid or if it's constructive. So um, I'm curious, how can one overcome, like, I, I know you mentioned getting the unsolicited feedback. Is there anything else that they can do to overcome the performance paradox and unlock some of that growth? To, to continue on your thought uh, about feedback and not taking it personally, it's, it's really interesting that sometimes we take feedback personally, even when the other person doesn't know us. Like we, they might, we might ask for something and they might reject us. They don't know who we are, or they might say something about us and we don't know who we, they don't know who we are and we still take it personally, right? So it is, it is such a journey and important to understand how it's often not about us. We, we suffer from something called the spotlight effect is a human bias where we tend to think that we are kind of the center of the world, that other people are, are paying more attention to us than they actually are. And there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things going on in their lives. Uh, there, there's things that uh, are about the way they think rather than the way we think. So yeah, feedback is just kind of information that uh, that is always good. I think if getting more information about how we're affecting other people is always a good thing. But how can we overcome the performance paradox more broadly to your question? I, I think the first step is to really understand the difference between performance and learning and start seeing where we are stuck in chronic performance and how that's getting in the way. And to understand that, um, it might be helpful to step outside of our context and look at fantastic performers in domains where performance can be objectively measured and, and think about how they become so good. So for example, if you look at world-class athletes, we might think that a fantastic tennis player is so good because they spent so many hours playing tennis, but that's not the case. Uh, so if we look at like a, a professional tennis player, they're playing a, a, a championship final. If they're having trouble with a particular move, they'll avoid that move during that match because all they care about is winning. They're in what, what I call the performance zone. But then after the game, they'll go to their coach and say, coach, I have to work on this particular move that I was avoiding during the game. So that's a very different activity and, and area of attention than what we do during the game. And so um, that's what I call the learning zone. 
And what we're often doing in work and life is we're just always trying to do the best we can, trying to minimize mistakes. Um, and we're just worried about getting things done. And that works while we are novices. Like when, when we're just starting to do something and we just try doing it, we'll get better just from trying. But then we'll stagnate when we become proficient. And and so the, what we need to do is to, for most of us, the greatest opportunity is in shifting the way we do things so that we do things with two goals. One is to get things done, but second is to improve along the way, right? So that we're getting things done in a way that's going to lead to greater skills and greater great insights. And to do that, we we can't do the same thing every day the same way that we did the day before, for one thing. We need mm -hmm. to change something. We need to experiment, tinker, try something new and see whether that works better or not. So that's one thing to think about is, are you shifting regularly the way you do things um we need to be soliciting feedback it's a really really uh, powerful strategy when we make mistakes we need to not just disregard the mistakes but we need to think about them and think about the root cause and think about what mm -hmm. led to this mistake what am i going to change in my systems and habits so that in the future we we can avoid these mistakes we can think about what we talk about in our meetings with our colleagues or in our conversations with our family do we talk about what we're learning or what questions we have or get their feedback so those are some ideas some 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 sample strategies around things that we can do that are different from just getting the job done and, and, and just getting tasks checked off the list. Yeah. And the first things that come to mind, I had read in a book one time that Tiger Woods would work with his coach and he would want to try a different grip uh, to see what would happen. Or Wayne Gretzky, he would just fool around on his skates just to see what angle something would change. And so that's what I'm thinking of how small, how incremental those changes are when you're in the learning zone. What came to my mind, Eduardo, when you were talking about that is, you know, you hear about the learning zone, but there's also that panic zone when people talk about stretching out of your comfort zone. And what I understand is you're not talking about going beyond, you know, you're testing how much you're capable of, but you're really breaking down some of the things that you're already doing to be, become more proficient with incremental and testing what's possible. Yeah, there's different strategies that can work for different situations. A lot of world-class performers um, work at that kind of incremental um, zone that you're talking about, right? They engage in something called deliberate practice, which is where you you identify a very specific sub-skill and you try try something that's just beyond what you can do to your point, right? And so you try something beyond, you're not going to do it perfectly. And, and based on repetition and feedback and adjustments, ideally with the guidance of a teacher or coach, then you can continue to get better at that. So that so definitely you there's definitely that panic zone, like you're saying, of going so far beyond what you can do in, in a way that's not safe, right? That is going to, it might create significant damage. We do, we want to try to avoid that. And now there are, there are situations where we might try something completely different or go to a completely different domain um, and just explore and tinker in safe ways, in ways that are not going to create damage. And that's okay too. That can lead to great rev you know, revolutionary innovation. Like for example, design thinking, in design thinking, you might be working on a problem but then you might like go on an exploration of a museum and something completely unrelated so that you can you can get ideas there and inspiration that might apply to the problem you're working on so that's kind of right. going into the distant uh, but in a safe way and so yeah thinking about in which ways 
because we also want to be in the performance zone sometimes. So thinking about when and where do I want and do we as a team want to be focusing on what we know works and just yeah. playing it safe. But then when and where do we want to be in the learning zone? Because if if we don't habituate that, we're just going to stay at the same level of effectiveness. And in the book, you talk about, you know, how often people will have meetings and when they go to meetings, they're not talking about what am I learning? It's kind of this checklist of who who's doing what kind of an update. And you're like, oh, sometimes you sit back and think, well, that could have been covered in an email, right? Versus having a richer conversation of what am I learning from this or have someone be the devil's advocate and give a different perspective of how they're seeing things to really have those richer conversations because otherwise sometimes it feels quite superficial. Yeah, and and both are important, right? We want performance systems and learning systems. So whether it's in meetings or in asynchronous emails in terms of updating each other or tracking our progress, our performance, um, we want those performance zone systems. But the question is, to your point, are we also embedding learning zone systems into those performance zone systems? And so, for example, at LinkedIn, the top 100 leaders have a weekly meeting. And in that meeting, they have a section of the meeting where they invite anybody to share something they learned the prior week and what anybody can do differently going forward as a result of what they learned. So that's just, just they want to change the conversation. They just change the agenda. They change the system. It's an easy thing to do. Um, and they're, they're combining kind of performance and learning into the way that they do things every day. Yeah. And, you know, the difference between, and this is a key thing, because you, you often think, well, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, if I do it more, I should be getting better, more proficient. But what you said, there's a huge difference between learning by doing and learning while doing. So I'd love for you to expand a little bit more on that. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's this term learning by doing, which I think is confusing because it, it implies that if you just do, you will learn and you improve. But the the people who um, kind of the, the theorists who came up with experiential learning in the first place, they recognize that it's not just by doing something that you get better. You need to do, but then you also need to reflect. You need to identify a hypothesis that of something that might work better and like test that hypothesis, like do something new that you haven't done before, see if it's going to work or not. And then again, reflect on how well that worked. And so we can learn while doing, we can do things and improve along the way, but we have to be deliberate and mindful about how we do so that we can, we can actually achieve that. You know, it's interesting when I was thinking about that learning by doing, and one of the examples in one of your Ted talks was about um, a lawyer who practiced speaking with rocks in his mouth for his lifts or going by the ocean. So it'd be noisy. And it's interesting because you think about these different things that I wouldn't even think to do something like that right and it's like so how do you improve and I know at one point in my speaking part of my career I worked with an acting coach who also worked with coaches but, but people who spoke from the stage to in, implement Alexander technique right so it's more animal based and you're really using your body in a different way. And I had never seen anything like it before, but it made me show up differently because I knew how it was used in acting and how that represented that person. So it was a really interesting way to, to make me think about, um, you know, trying something different that's not 
necessarily that straight line of practicing in the mirror or, you know, having someone watching other people's videos. Cause I would tell people initially when they're like, do you rewatch your videos? And at, when I first started doing it, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I was like, because I didn't want to see or hear myself. And then over time, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to get better, I really need to be doing this and not to go into that critique of self, but what can I learn here? What can I learn from other people that are doing these things? And even creating my own path of thinking, hmm, what would happen? You know, and uh, yeah, it's interesting, the journey and things that you can pick up from things that are not necessarily industry specific. They almost become a metaphor as well, I think. Yeah, and I think those are great examples. And um, they like, for example, I, I, I narrated just kind of the afterword of my audiobook and I I worked for an hour with a voice coach and they had me do all these things like you know with a glass of water and a, a straw and like blowing air into it and just very different things yeah. than just talking um and to your point some things are are closer to talking like you know watching yourself talk and then thinking about what might right. work or what might not work yeah. But those are all different things than just going out there and and doing more and more speeches, right? Or more and more keynotes. Um, that that leads to uh, you know getting stale and not not actually getting better. Yeah. No, very valuable. Um, is it possible to improve, especially in high pressure situations when it feels like there's no time to add anything to our plate? You know. Um, you know, with the pandemic, even we saw a lot of crisis situations. We we see different situations that need people to be decisive. But how can you be decisive and learn at the same time? Right? You have to be quick. So I would love to you know learn about a little bit more about those high pressure situations and how we can be more resilient in moving forward with those. Absolutely. So first, there are times where the stakes are really really high, and you want to just put your best foot forward, not take any risk. Like if you're, if you're a surgeon and you're doing surgery on a patient during the surgery, you want to do the best that you know how, not experiment on the patient, right? And, and, um, and just be in your performance zone. And, and there's definitely times and places for that. Um, but then after the surgery or, you know, at a different time of your day or week, you want to be, uh, reviewing the new research about new techniques or, you know, learning from, uh, a, um, a pharmaceutical rep about a new kind of compound that there might be right. Or just talking to your peer surgeons about something that they're learning, uh, and, and something that they're doing that's working better for them. Um, so for us, yeah, most of us feel really busy right? To get so many things done. And, and that's the situation we're in. And sometimes that might lead us to think this, this learning thing that sounds really good, but I just don't have time for it. I have too much to do. But what, what, what we find time and time again across industries is that actually the people who figure out ways to habituate the learning zone as part of their performance zone, they get higher performance and the, the, the relationship is really, really clear. And so um, it doesn't have to take much time for sure. It like we can just simply every morning remind ourselves of what is one thing we're trying to improve. And that alone will help us think about kind of and, and notice opportunities for improvement so that whatever surprises us or whatever mistakes we make, or there's somebody that we can ask a quick feedback from or ideas from, um, we can do that throughout the day without it taking much time at all. Yeah. 
It's as simple as Googling tips to improve this, right? And we don't yeah. necessarily think about it unless we come from a place of curiosity and want to, it's like, oh, I wonder if I did this, what would happen, right? So if mistakes are good for learning, but bad for performance, how should people approach it? Because I could see people being, I don't know if I want to go there because if I make a mistake, I might not recover. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, mistakes are so important for learning. They drive our neuroplasticity. Is when the brain makes a prediction that turns out to be wrong. That is incredible learning that leads our the wiring of our brain to change. On the other hand, like you're saying, mistakes lead to lower performance. Great performances involve fewer mistakes. So how can we reconcile this? Um, in, in chapter five, I talk about four different kinds of mistakes that help us better, like get, get a better understanding of when and how to engage in mistakes and how to take advantage of them. So the first one is the stretch mistake, which is when we're doing something that's difficult, that's beyond what we can do, we can't expect it to do it perfectly. We have to expect to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. And that's going to be really valuable learning. So those are the stretch mistakes. We want to be doing a lot of those, not by trying to do things incorrectly, but by trying to do things that are challenging. Second is the, the high stakes mistake which are the mistakes that we make that have significant consequences. They create damage. We want to try to minimize those mistakes, right? When the when the stakes are high, we want to try to play it safe and be in our performance zone. So often there's ways to like embed mini experiments within things. So, so we're largely performing what we know will work, but we might like a little tweak here to see like how that will work here, usually to better serve that specific uh, person that we were in front of. Third, is a sloppy mistake. The sloppy mistake is when we do something we we should have known better how to do. We shouldn't we shouldn't be making this mistake again. And when we make sloppy mistakes, we can ask ourselves like first, you know, is this important or is this something to laugh at? I think mistakes can bring joy to our lives too. Uh, but also, you know, if it is important, if it is something that we want to avoid in the future, then ask ourselves how can what what can I change? What's the root cause of this? And often it's either we lost focus or we our systems weren't set up well and we were trying to do too many things at the same time, for example. And so there's often an, a valuable lesson there too. And then finally, there's the aha moment mistakes, which are when we do something as we intended, but then we realized it was the wrong thing to do. Um, like, you know, and, and so uh, those are really precious uh, ahas, but they're, they're less... Um, is is harder to elicit them proactively. Um, we they they surprise us, and so when they surprise us, it's important to notice them and to think about them and to think about what we can learn from them. Um, and the the one way that we can elicit more of them or, or or uncover more of them is by regularly soliciting feedback. You know, we'll we'll get more aha moments that way as well. And so in thinking about these different kinds of mistakes, the the key is that. We want to do more stretch mistakes. We want to be proactive about, about learning from more stretch mistakes by doing things that are challenging. And the last thing I'll say about this is that it's also important to not weaponize mistakes. Like what, what, what I might see as a sloppy mistake that somebody else did, they might see as a stretch mistake or as an aha moment mistake. So we want to approach these conversations with curiosity uh, to understand where the other person was coming from, to understand what they're taking out of the situation, what they're learning. 
Um, because if we, if they feel like they can't make mistakes or they will be reprimanded, then they will try to minimize mistakes all the time, which means they'll be in chronic performance all the time and they'll stagnate. It makes me think of individuals who might have a project that they need to work on and they might not have done it before or it's tedious or it takes a lot of time to really go through that they're afraid to ask questions for the fear of not looking like they know what they're doing, as you mentioned earlier. But to know that sometimes it's not something that needs to be done alone, but to still go through it, you know, come up with your questions and then pull other people in to say, how, how have you done this? Because I've never done this before, but these are some of the questions that come up for me, right? Because Absolutely. when I think as a leader, you have to teach people how to go about doing things, especially when they don't have that belief in themselves. I agree. I think great leaders are both great learners and great teachers. They guide people on how are we supposed to show up at work, including what you're saying, including are we, are we, supposed to collaborate not just to perform but also to learn because more brains are smarter than one brain especially when those brains are diverse they come from different experiences and backgrounds and perspectives um, we can be smarter together than we are isolated not only that but then we start sharing more transparency trans transparently that means we get to know each other better and we deepen our relationships so we have a greater life experience living and working with each other mm -hmm. when we're being more transparent with each other yeah. And, and I think we also could get probably more curious. We'll ask more questions when we have, we break, bring down that barrier of, you know, it might sound like a silly question or, you know, people will say a stupid question. Right. And it's like, but if we came from a place of curiosity and be like, huh, I never looked at it that way, that we can have those richer conversations. So what are some of the common habits that prevent people and teams from improving? Well, one, um, so, so the, there's the common habit of just having, just focusing on the to-do list and checking things off the list. So just focusing on getting things done and not on improving. Some of the things that lead us to that are first, as humans, we have a present bias. So we tend to overvalue the present and undervalue the future. We want the immediate rewards, the immediate gratification. And that leads us to focus too much on performance because the performance zone is the way to maximize the immediate performance. It just, it just, the learning zone is the way to drive greater medium-term and longer-term performance, right? It's like an in investment in the future. And so that leads us to being chronic performance. Uh, and then there's systems that we've created that that lead us to be in chronic performance. Like for example, in, in the public stock market, uh, research analysts tend to really focus on the current quarter earnings. And so that puts pressure on CEOs and executives to just try to maximize current earnings, which means they are underinvesting for the future because they're trying to minimize, you know, or, or, or not investing things like research and development. And so, and they're also kind of then psychologically just, just, pressuring themselves and the people who report to them to perform and to do things without mistakes and to get results right now as best as we know how. Um, and so that that is part of what pushes us to be just overly focused on getting things done and not putting enough attention to what we can improve. So I want, want to, with our show, we like to give applicable things. So, <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier that the show, we talk about life, leadership and business. So it, if, if I may, Eduardo, get, let's talk about some examples of 
in life, a relationship or parenting, for example, how can we use this performance paradox to catch ourselves in performance and learning? So what would be something that we could incrementally do? Like uh, what I'm thinking about parenting, maybe a bedtime routine. Often there's a lot of struggle there, right? What, what could be something that someone can look at to make it applicable to how are we going to incrementally break this down? Because they might not yeah. have the awareness yet. Absolutely. So as a bedtime routine, you might um, ask some reflection questions to your child on, hey, what is one thing that you learned today? Or what is one thing that you tried new today? And how did it go? Um, so that's 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 one example of a bedtime routine. I, I would tend to not go too intense on a bedtime routine because I, I think yeah. we're trying to wind down and relax. Yeah. Um, so maybe think about the like breakfast or or lunch um one thing that i would encourage parents to think about is um are you showing up whether you're a parent or a leader or, or a friend are you showing up as a know-it-all uh, or are you showing up as a learner uh, because often we as parents we feel like we need to have all the answers we need to be the desires we need to be giving orders and um if if kids see us as knowers rather than as learners uh they're not they're not going to be encouraged to develop as lifelong learners as people who are always continuing right. to learn so instead right we can think of we can talk about what I, what am i learning or what am i working to improve you know what is one thing at work that i tried differently and how did it go what is some feedback that i received and and here's how i responded or what do you all think about this so this person said this that i tend to do x you know do you see that too and so uh trying to show our so often we we engage in learning in private we might be listening to podcasts while we work out or like doing things when we're alone and other people don't see our learning process so we need to explicitly and visibly show that we're learners to our kids to our friends our spouses uh our people at work um so so that's one thing uh another thing is to um to be learning, like if you're a partner with you know your spouse or your life partner, um, kind of checking in every once in a while into, hey, how are things working? Uh, what is one thing you know it, it, is if there's something that you're grappling with, what just sharing like here's what I'm thinking about doing differently or working on. What do you think? Just being a um, collaborators and thought partners around here's a part of part of my life that I would like to work on. What do you think are some ideas? How can we better support each other? Those are things that, you know, my wife and I do, and, and we really enjoy and, and value doing together. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that came up in my mind is also um, when kids would come home from school, my kids are older already, but when they come home from school and you'd say, well, what did you learn today? Nothing. And it'd be like, okay, how can I rephrase this question? You know, and I know, um, I think it's Sarah Blakely said that, you know, her father used to say, so what mistakes did you make today? So it's an interesting approach to, you know, what can you learn and knowing that mistakes are okay versus, you know, looking that for that validation and proving yourself, especially as a child, you know, you have the teachers, you have the coaches, you have all that. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of what what mistakes you make today. You could ask, um, what what challenge did you take on today? What what did you try? How did it go? And if they said nothing, then, huh? 
like that how come like why you know why are, why aren't you taking on challenge like this is really important here's the challenge that i took today um and and this is really important if we don't take the challenges we 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 don't grow yeah and a- another example that comes to me that you know when i think about business just from reading your book and having our conversation today is there was a coach who who told me one time you know it was a leader leadership position and I was explaining a situation and she's like, well, did you tell the person you report to that, that you had this learning or you had this experience? And I'm like, no. And she goes, but when it comes to performance evaluations or performance conversations, which we often call them now, it's you, if you don't share some of those learnings, like you said, what you learned in a podcast, or let's say you had a difficult conversation with someone and how you reflected and how that conversation went if you if you don't share that they don't see that you've improved in that area of potentially people management or helping people with their performance and when it comes to that performance conversation you'll be like oh they don't see me at all especially if you don't see your leader on a regular basis like some companies you know with remote or you know that contact isn't always the same Absolutely. Yes. Um, we, we need to make our behavior visible and explicit, um, and normalize the, the idea that we're all, we're all going to be learning every day. Sometimes we we might feel that behaving like learners might project a lack of confidence uh, that this is like we might see the learning behaviors in a way similar to what we talked about earlier about feedback that some of us might uh, see feedback as a sign of incompetence some of us might see feedback as something that anybody can use to better improve same thing in, in, in this way and so the more we can set the stage and talk about how do we want to behave with each other and why um, then we make it safe and clear as to why we're engaging in these behaviors. It's not because we're incompetent, it's because these are the behaviors that are, gonna, that are going to be driving success, especially in a complex and fast-changing world. And when we want to affect change, these are the behaviors that uh, equip us to affect change. Yeah, because you often hear, you know, a learning organization is a, a company that or organization that's learning, but how are they learning? Are they having that balance? Because often it gets heavy on the performance and it's like, no, we don't have time to send you to this course or this course. And it comes the individual's responsibility. And then there's other times where the organization try, you know, fit in as many as you can so that you can actually implement. And that's the biggest thing. Are you implementing something that you learn? Because even with reading books and, you know, there's a lot of nuggets in your book here, The Performance Paradox. It's like, so what am I going to take one thing away? You know, and when I thought about the sloppy mistake that you were talking about, the first thing that came to my mind would be lack of preparation. But for someone else, it might not be lack of preparation. It might be like, you know, just a misstep of maybe not having a care in the world. It could be procrastination, could be so many different things. Absolutely. We, We all need to be working on our own harmony of mental models and collaborators and people we work with and live with and what what each of us wants to take away from something and work on is going to be different uh, absolutely that resonates yeah 
And the biggest thing is staying in a place of curiosity is basically what it comes down to. Um, but I'm really, you know, where I'm curious right now is what about play, fun, rest? How, how did they get into the role of improvement and performance? Yeah, so those are great and, and really important. They improve life. They even improve performance. Um, the book is the book focuses on the contrast between performance and learning, but that's not to say that there are other zones that we want to you know live in in our lives. Um, rest is really important. I, it's it's funny, like when you think about how like how much do the best performers in the world engage in in the learning zone. Like for example, deliberate practice. If you look at the best violinists or the best athletes, you might think that they, the best in the world engage in deliberate practice, you know, 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day, but that's not the case. Uh, depending on the domain is anywhere between two and five hours per day. Um, and the reason is that the, the learning zone and deliberate practice in particular involve a high degree of concentration um and 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 it 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 it, it is tiring uh, so we need rest they actually these people rest more than other people they sleep more than other people they nap more than other people because they need to recharge their brain which has been working really hard at a high level of challenge uh, and thinking about what they can improve and trying new things um, so so rest is really important when we are sleeping our brain is changing our neural wiring uh, so we're consolidating what we learned the prior day it's also removing toxins from the prior day so rest is critical, but also play. I mean, play um, first, it puts us into a, a positive emotional state, which helps us both learn and perform. Uh, we are tinkering usually with, you know, creative things and um, and we can, that, that, that inspires connections and ways to act uh, that, that help us learn and perform better. Same thing with kind of exploration. If we are, if we're an expert on a particular domain, uh, learning about things that are completely different from that, like reading books that are like fiction or other things or watching movies or going to a completely different place or museum or um, all those things can generate insights and ideas that are completely unrelated to what we do, but that can inspire uh, completely new ways of doing things and, and drive innovation. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you, <laughs> you actually let me into the question that I'm about to ask you about innovation because that innovation and creativity, you know, is a thing that we're wanting to see a lot more of in not being the status quo, you know, wanting to be the advancing on the edge, especially with organizations and companies, right? They want to be the more attractive approach to, you know, attracting the best talent. So how do we use performance and learning to lead to more innovative practice? Yeah, so if a chronic focus on performing definitely hurts innovation, right? In order to innovate, you have to try what hasn't been tried before, and that might work. It might not work. You're gonna you're gonna get insights from whatever whatever you observe from the experiment, um, and and so we we if we want to innovate, um, we need to create spaces and, and habits for people to tinker with new things, to explore completely new ideas, to brainstorm with each other, um, 
and and then how like what strategies and practices we use for these things like you said before you can do uh, an internet search and and look for ideas on how people do this and continue to look for more ideas so that we can improve and try different things and and not get stale in the same kind of monotony but uh keep keep evolving because that's going to drive more innovative ideas Right. So Eduardo, there, I, I know it's not something that maybe you bring up in interviews on a regular basis, but in your book, you talk about how you had to um, rescue yourself, <laughs> per se, from a riptide, and what learnings that you took away that you had to approach things differently. So I, I would love for you to share that story, if you may. Absolutely. I um, I was at the Modern Elder Academy in Mexico, spending a week there as a student, just listening um, and just just learning from Chip Conley and others and my cohort mates. And I it, that's in a, in a beautiful beach. And I grew up very close to the beach in Venezuela. I love going in the ocean, but we were told not to go in the ocean because the ocean was uh, was dangerous. But, but we were told that about a, a mile away, there was a public beach that was considered safe. Um, and so one morning I went there, it's an early morning before a workshop. I, I just wanted to go, I needed to go in the ocean and it was a beautiful place. And I went in and the, the waves were very strong, but I knew what to do. I'm very comfortable in the ocean. I would uh, swim to the bottom, let them pass. And then once I got past the breakers, I just floated and I loved just you just the touch of the water and the sun and the breeze and there was nobody in the beach. It was like paradise. And next thing I know, I was like really, really far from shore. And um, it was scary because it was far and the ocean was strong. And so I started like my goals just completely changed at that moment, right? From mm -hmm. from having a good time and reconnecting and and getting some exercise to just getting back to shore. That was my only goal. And so I started swimming toward shore and a minute or two later, I picked up my head and I noticed that I hadn't moved at all. And I realized, oh, I must be caught in a riptide. Uh, this is not good. You know, this is, this is a really bad situation. There's nobody in, in the, I'm really far and it's, there's nobody around. Um, but luckily I had heard what to do. So I, um, I veered 90 degrees and I started swimming parallel to shore rather than toward shore. And it was a little scary. It was definitely very scary because the, the ocean kept moving, moving me out, pushing me out. But after some time, you know, I started veering a little bit more toward shore, hoping that I had gotten away from the riptide current. Um, and and so I, I started getting really tired and my muscles, I, I, I switched to backstroke so that I would use different muscles. And eventually I, I started feeling the waves breaking near me. I, I got back on my uh, stomach and I just went, you know, and, and, and pedaled really hard uh, and eventually just let my, let a big wave just, just tumble me to shore. I was, you know, very dizzy, but, but I, I was safe. And I, you know, what, what that reminds me of is that sometimes the route to success is not a straight line. Like you might think that, and, and there's over a hundred people a year uh, I've learned since die in rip currents every year in the U S alone, because our, our reaction our, our, what we tend to do is just to, to swim as hard as we can straight to the goal. Um, but that just gets us exhausted and people drown. And sometimes we need to, to 
to discover, right? To go to try to figure out where might there be a current that's going to work with me rather than against me. And those currents are invisible. Like we don't know where they are. We we can't even see the current that's going against us right now. Um, but when we tinker, when we experiment, when we go to different places, then we discover new ways of doing things that are can be like currents that work for us instead of against us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you said, I heard that there was this way of doing it, it's like, oh, I hope this works. It's time to test it out because you don't know if it's going to work. And I think that's where people have that resistance to try trialing new things. And I like to like to be like, well, if someone could do it, how can I test it to replicate it? And that's often that scientific mindset, right? That you're like, mm, if someone else is doing it, it has to be repeatable. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, but I can't imagine what you went through <laughs> during that time. Cause you're probably thinking so many different things and just rolling onto, onto the sand is just like, Oh, I made it. Right. Yeah, it was. And part of what I was thinking was, wow, the ocean is so much stronger than me. And whether I get to shore is not fully up to me, but I'm going to do, a, I'm going to do all I can to try to get back to shore. So it was also a spiritual, um, a, a spiritual experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, what, when I was in, in, um, in before, when I was stuck in chronic performance and I was doing things, not that I was interested in, but that that was just earning me a paycheck. Right. Um, I, I realized I want to feel like if I get hit by a bus the next day, uh, I, I will feel good about the way I've lived and, and being a good steward of my life. And I, I won't have regrets about what I did with my time on earth. Yeah, and I yeah. do feel that way now. I feel like I'm making good use of my time on earth. And, and that's also a, a good feeling as well. Yeah. Because also you talk about that you also, your hands from the stress of everything uh, were affected by um, a repetitive strain injury. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's what led me to realize that I needed to change careers because mm. I, in trying to prove myself all the time. And I was also, I had gotten myself into a mindset of trying to be sprinting all day, every day. So I was literally tensing my muscles on purpose because I just wanted to perform as best as possible all the time. And I could have done that just relaxed in a different way. It's just, that's just the way I approached it. But because my, my muscles were tense all the time, uh, they lost their ability to relax. They got really hard and short. And so then the blood couldn't get into them to provide nutrients to heal. And then I got into a pretty significant repetitive strain injury where uh, I met people with my condition where they couldn't use their hands for more than 10 minutes a day. And that's what led me to realize, okay, am I, while I have my hands, like, am I doing something that I feel is meaningful? And I wasn't feeling that at the time. So that's what led me to the work I do now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, it's a change like that, that leads us to our, our best work. Like your work is amazing. And, but had those things not happened, whether it be the riptide or this injury, you, it wouldn't have led you here. Absolutely. And the, the amazing thing also is that at the time when I was having this repetitive strain injury, I was 27 years old and I felt like that was one of the worst things that could be happening to me. I was like, oh my God, like this is so, so horrible, such a bad situation. Yeah. I, I had to first like spend so much time trying to figure out what I had, which was really hard to diagnose. But then I had to spend an hour and a half every day for three years stretching. I had to get like treatment. I had to do all kinds of things and I didn't know whether I could heal. heal. But looking back, 
it was such a blessing. It was such an amazing, great thing that happened to me because it led me to change myself and change my path and led me to a much, such a much greater place, not only in health, because I feel like if I had stayed in that path, I probably would have already had a heart attack in my forties. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm in so much healthier, but also just feeling so much more purpose and meaning in my life and just really experiencing life so much better because of it. Yeah. And, and making an impact, making an impact. Um, one of the things that when, when I think about, you know, the stories that you share and the realizations is that we can get caught into that fixed mindset. And one of the things you talk about, you realize, because we can switch from one to the other, but you caught where you tended to have more of a fixed mindset than a growth mindset. Absolutely. We, we, mindsets are, are first, like you're saying, not binary. It's not like what person is growth mindset and another person is a fixed mindset. We're all a mix. Uh, each mindset is kind of a spectrum. We can be also somewhere in the middle and we can be more in a growth mindset about certain abilities or people and in a fixed mindset about other abilities and people. And so the first step in, in our mindset journey is just to become more self-aware, to become more aware of what do I tend to see as fixed? What abilities or what people do I tend to label? And that's that awareness and thinking about how is that affecting me? When when is a fixed mindset a problematic? And when is it getting in the way of my desired behaviors and my goals? Um, that's the first step in then thinking differently so that we can change our mindset. Very powerful, very powerful. I want to keep us on track for time. Um, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> so, I could talk to you for hours, Dad. <laughs> this has been wonderful. So two questions I love to ask people. Um, what is one book other than the book that you've written that has had a profound impact on your life and why? Well, certainly Mindset by Carol Dweck, a seminal book on growth mindset changed my life. Uh, Also, The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama was a book that when I was searching for, when I had the repetitive strength injury and I was searching for how how to change, that was a very, very impactful book to me. Um, And uh, it's really changed the way that, that I think and I live. Beautiful. And one of the big questions I ask everybody is what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Living rich from the inside out uh, to me means generating um, the, the emotions that I want to have. I feel like um, life, the, everything I do in life I, ultimately is to have a good experience of life, which is about the emotions that I feel throughout life. And something I've learned is, you know, I used to think that my happiness would come from my circumstances. You know, once I achieved something, then I would be happy. And what I've learned is that happiness really comes from within our emotions or things that we can generate from within ourselves. Um, and and that is what, to me, it means to to live rich from within. Thank you. Thank you. I always love those questions because I always get such a variety and it just adds to the depth of what we do here on the show. And of course, how can people stay in touch with you or have you come speak on stages or learn more about the work that you do? Well, I'm active on LinkedIn. So uh, I love when people connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my website is briseño.com. So you can learn there about my speaking or I have a free resource there about five tips to foster a growth mindset. 
And my book, my new book that you mentioned is The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. And that's available wherever books are sold. Thank you so, so much. I, I am so grateful for this opportunity to spend time with you. Uh, congratulations on your book. It must feel amazing as well. Um, just thank you. Any final words or tips about your performance paradox for our viewers and listeners? I just want to thank you, Deb, for your wonderful podcast. I've enjoyed listening to, to episodes and um, thank you for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and we have Eduardo Briseño with The Performance Paradox. Please hop over. I will have everything linked in the show notes and uh, so that you can connect with him and, you know, really think about taking a nugget from this interview and implementing and make it, making it relevant to your life and giving yourself the space to make those mistakes. And knowing that you will con constantly improve because that's what life's about. It's about becoming the person that you're meant to be. You can also pop over to my website at debrakasowski.com where you can get your free 10-page report of Reset Your Mindset. As Mohammed Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always, go out and make today great. <music>